Amen, church. Thank you. you could be seated. Amen, church. Thank you. You could be seated. You know, I was thinking that that first song. You know, I was that, thinking that that uh, first song that morning, uh, that we sang this morning. Lift him high. Lift him high. Uh, for all to see. You know, I had the thought when, as we were singing that. You know, it's not that God needs us to needs us to somehow prop him up, right? God is already high and lifted up. Um, he is a rock, and all who come against him are, you know, they, they are uh, they're crushed. Um, God is God is God is God is sovereign over all, and he is high and lifted up. But I think what it is is that you know somehow uh, as human beings we often we can lose sight of just how high and lifted up he is. And I think the, what the song's encouraging us to do is hey point point people to the to the God that is high and lifted up. Lift him up in the eyes of others. Point other people to him. Point ourselves to him. Guys, don't we need that? We need to point ourselves to Christ over and over again. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. He is high and lifted up. And I think of that, that scripture where, um, I was trying to think of what it is. I didn't look it up. But I think there were, there were some, um, I think there were people that were, that were shouting Hosanna at Christ and the disciples, I'm probably botching this, but somebody said, uh, keep them quiet. And Jesus said, don't keep them quiet. If, if, if these were not speaking, the very rocks would cry out. Uh, all creation points to our Savior. He's high and lifted up and exalted. And uh, thank, thank God. Well, this morning we are in Romans 5, and I, I think this is, this is the part uh, of the service where I would typically say some joke about the weather. And um, I don't really know what to say about it this morning. I, I would just say that if you have not opened the weather app recently, don't. Just don't open it. Um, it's not good news. And so I think we're all just, just uh, we, we've kind of succumbed to that fact now. And, and we can just move on and trust that God will bring relief in his time. But uh, thankful, uh, thankful to, to be alive, uh, thankful to be, to be alive, to be able to to have breath in my lungs this morning, and uh, looking forward to what God has for us in Romans chapter five, verses twelve through twenty. Let's stand together if you're able to do that physically. I'd love to invite you to stand. We're going to read Romans chapter five. We'll read the whole chapter just to get the context here. And of course, last week we walked through those first eleven verses, and we're going to finish up, Lord willing, this chapter here today. But let's start in verse one, and then we'll read all the way down through verse twenty-one. Therefore, since we have been therefore since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just a quick note here, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday we came together. There were twenty twenty or so of us here, and. Boy, we just rejoiced in that truth, didn't we, guys? You guys that were here, remember uh, just that declaration of righteousness. And therefore, since, and everything else that we see here in the chapter is, really, Paul is just imploring us to respond. Respond to this declaration that has been uh, given to you by faith righteous. Verse 2, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. And we know it's not human hope because human hope so often disappoints. 
but this hope is from God and it will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Christ Jesus overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus our Christ, so that's a, our Lord. You know, that's and so a, that's a, you know, that's a, it seems to me when I first read this, I've read it in years past, but when I read it in just recently, you read those verses, I think there's eight or nine verses there, and it seems like Paul's just saying the same thing verse after verse, right? Uh, through one man this, through another man this. And then he just kind of says it the same way or in different ways over and over again. And so you read it, if you just read it once, you can get lost pretty easily. But reading, soaking in it a little bit, um, you know, just, just uh, meditating on it and reading through there's a richness here, and I'm excited to share it with you this morning. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. God, uh, your word is truth. And Lord, we look to it this morning. Uh, God, it points to you. And I pray that that would be my, my task this morning. Uh, Lord, not to, uh, not to display some sort of intellect or, Lord, anything short of simply pointing to you that's through the scriptures, God. That, that's what we need. We need to see more and of Lord, you. You're, you're here clearly and Lord, you're, you're here clearly and plainly. Lord, your goodness and grace is God, seen here. So God, would you enable me to point that out today? And I pray for each listener, Lord, that their ears would be, Lord, in tune with what the Spirit of God would speak today through your word. Lord, we look forward to what you have for us. 
We'll thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. So Romans 5, so Romans 5 verses 12 through 21 here, they really, it's rooted in the story of Adam. The first man, Adam. The first woman, Eve. And to understand the context of this portion, we really got to journey back to the Garden of Eden. And so I wanted to start out with that this morning. And we're going to see God giving Adam complete dominion over the garden with one exception. I want to take you back to Genesis 2. If you, if you could turn back there. We don't have the scriptures on the screens this morning. And so uh, if, you, if you would take uh, your copy of God's word there, whether it's on a device, an electronic device, or whether you brought your own copy of the printed word of God, or you want to pick up one that's there on the seat next to you, I want to take you to Genesis 2, and we're just going to look at a little background here, and I, I think that most of us are familiar with this story. It's, it's uh, the book of Genesis, uh, beginnings. This is, this is a recording of how the world came into existence, how human beings came into existence, and they, are the, they were from the heart and mind and the, uh, spoken into existence by the Creator. And man was formed from the dust of the ground by God's almighty hand. And in chapter 2 here, we are introduced to the gateway through which sin entered this world. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter number 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord, God commanded the man, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God's given Adam, he's given him reign over everything, over every created thing. And the woman is not yet in the picture, but God gives this mandate to Adam and says, you can have it all, just stay away from this tree. This tree is off limits to you. And so God then creates the first woman as a companion to Adam. And she is deceived by Satan and chooses to eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree. And I was noticed as I was, as I was reading through this week um, that, you know, she wasn't named. The woman didn't have a name until after. Um, you know, in, 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 until chapter 3 and verse 20, she was just referred to as the woman. And then in verse 20, it says the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. But I just thought that was interesting. So I guess in my notes, I just refer to her as the woman. Um, but she, she is deceived by Satan and chooses to eat of that fruit. She eats it and she gives to Adam. And he eats, breaking God's singular command to him. Right, that command was given to Adam. Right, it wasn't given to Eve. She actually wasn't around at the time. And I would imagine that Adam probably informed her that, you know, God has told us no to this tree. But in any case, that command was given to Adam. Eve comes in into onto the scene. Uh, she because eats of the, of the tree because of the serpent's and deception, and then she gives to Adam, and Adam eats, breaking God's command. And this is what Romans 5 will, and this is what Romans 5 will, will refer to as the it's trespass. The trespass. And what is the it's called the trespass. And what is the result of that? Look in Genesis 3 and uh, verse number 7. Then the eyes of both of them, the were, opened both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings 
for so, themselves. Uh, Adam so uh, Adam and and Eve, they were created God, in purity, God formed and God God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He formed Eve from the rib of Adam, and they were they were born into a perfect garden, and they had fellowship with God. They had fellowship with one another. There was no the the the, the, the scar of sin was not present. Um, their minds were pure. The very moment that Eve took of that tree, and the very moment that Adam sinned by taking of the tree as well, sin was, was introduced into the world. And immediately the Bible tells us that the eyes of them both were opened. They were no longer innocent. Uh, they saw their own nakedness. They realized, oh, we're naked. And they, sin became a thing in their mind. And they tried to hide themselves. And I think that's interesting. There are so many things that could be drawn from uh, this, 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 uh, this is the unfolding in Genesis here, but uh, sin became, uh, they became very aware of sin and they tried to hide from God. They tried to cover themselves. The serpent is cursed. We see that uh, in, in uh, verse number eight. The Bible tells us that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of uh, in time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God. They were ashamed. There was no shame before the fall, but once they sinned and their eyes were open to sin, they tried to hide from God among the trees. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And it's not that he didn't know where they were, but I think he was poising the question to them, what, where are you? What is your position now? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, and notice that he immediately blames his wife. The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So God goes to the woman and says, what is this you have done? And the woman blames the serpent. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God goes to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And just a note, um, a lot of people believe, and I, I would think that I would be believed too, that, that serpents were not always, you know, this, abs uh, this abhorrent creature that slithered around in the dirt on its belly. Otherwise, why would God, why would God curse him to the ground if he was already on the ground? Many would, would believe that the serpent was, maybe had legs or wings or was some sort of a beautiful creature. In any case, God cursed it. And it said you're gonna, he said, you're, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman. Women, can I get a witness there? Is there hostility between you and snakes? Okay, thank you. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Um, speaking in that that was fulfilled in the cross. But he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. Women, again, can I get a witness there? Okay. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And then he comes to the man and he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. 
You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. And so this is the result. The serpent is cursed. The woman is cursed. Adam is cursed. The earth is cursed. And we are all here brought up under that curse. So let's jump back to Romans chapter 5 and we'll continue on. I just wanted to set the context for what we hear uh, as this imputed sin of Adam, this sin that was imputed or uh, a status transferred from one to another, this sin was imputed to all mankind. So we see in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and that's what we looked at just now, and death through sin, Remember, God said to Adam, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, he didn't drop dead on the spot when he ate it, but his spirit died. And as we are all in Adam, I think we understand that the first man, the first woman, we are all descendants of theirs, and we were in Adam, and that death passed through that sin into us. In this way, the scripture says in Romans 5.12, death spread to all people because all sinned. The trespass, the sin, and the resulting curse of death was passed from the first humans to every human thereafter. We were all born physically alive, but spiritually dead, up under the curse of sin. Look in verse 13. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Now, when he speaks of the law there, he's referring to the law of Moses, the commandments, ordinances, punishments, and ceremonial observances given to the nation of Israel through Moses. And Paul's saying here that, you know, technically there was no sin recorded or imputed prior to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. He's saying that specific sin was not counted against specific people before the law. It was not a transgression in the sense of breaking the written words of the law because they weren't around. It was simply sinful humanity expressing its sinful nature, self-serving, hurtful, deceptive, and immoral. So he's saying, this is just kind of a side note, Paul is saying, hey, you know, sin was in the world before the law. Before the law was ever a thing, before Moses was given those commandments on Mount Sinai, sin was around. It was around. But it wasn't charged to a person's account when there was no law. Now, you come to think, you read that and you think, well, then if, you know, if sin wasn't charged to anyone's account, then does that mean there was no, they weren't really responsible, right? They, they weren't guilty. But then he clarifies here in the next verse. Look in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. Now, what do you mean in the, what does it mean in the likeness of Adam's transgression? Well, Adam broke a verbal command of God. Yeah, specific command. God gave him one, you know, Adam had that, that one command and he broke it. And uh, humanity, from that point all the way up until the giving of the law, they did not have specific written or verbal commands of God to follow. So in that way, they were not like, it was not like Adam's sin, or it was not like his transgression. But, the Bible says that nevertheless, death reigned. Death reigned. While specific sins were not charged to individuals, people still died as a result of the underlying curse brought on by Adam's sin. It was a curse, the curse of sin. 
and death reigned, the scripture says. He is a type of the coming one. Now look at that. Look at the words coming one. They're capitalized there. Notice that capitalization. Is Paul saying that Jesus and Adam share Christ-like attributes? Well, no, rather he's speaking of the singular source nature of both Adam's actions and the actions of Christ. And this is where, this is the part of the chapter where he starts to bring these parallels between uh, the one man, Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus Christ, a type of the coming one. Adam's transgression was the gateway of sin unto mankind. And Jesus Christ's sacrifice was the gateway of righteousness unto mankind. And so Paul will continue to make these parallels as uh, the rest of this chapter unfolds. Let's look at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflowed to the many? It was the sin of the earth man, Adam, that brought death upon mankind. It was the sacrifice of the God-man, Jesus Christ, that brought eternal life to mankind. But the grace remedy is so much greater than the sin curse. And that's why it says here that the gift is not like the trespass. It's far greater. How is it greater? Well, think of this. Um, Jesus didn't come to earth to simply reverse Adam's sin and return us to the garden. Rather, Jesus came to earth to give us something better than Adam had. I want you to consider this. Jesus gives us resurrection life, something Adam could never have. He gives us union with himself. He gifts us with the indwelling Holy Spirit. He makes us joint heirs with himself. He gives us a new past and a glorious present and a certain future. If anyone is in Christ, he is a completely new creature, and the new life of redemption he enjoys is far superior to the life experienced by unfallen Adam in the garden. So God did not, he did not simply come to undo what Adam did. He came to give, bring us something greater, and that was through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 16, and he, it seems like he's almost repeating himself here. Uh, in verse 15, he says, the gift is not like the trespass. And then in verse 16, he says again, the gift is not like the one man's sin. Because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. The first Adam committed one transgression. But the last Adam dealt with all transgressions for all time. Christ is far more powerful to save than Adam is to curse. And so we see that here that it's different, right? It's similar, but it's different. It's greater. The grace of God is greater than the trespass. It overcomes the trespass. Let's move on to verse 17. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Boy, you know, uh, Adam, Adam he, God set him in the garden and gave him rule over all of creation. He tried. He failed. But as believers, we will rule and reign with Christ forevermore, and he will never fail. He will never fail, and we are recipients of his unfailing character, of his unfailing nature. We will reign with him. 
I think of 1 Corinthians 15, 45 uh, through 49. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And wow, I'm so thankful, so grateful that I bear the image of the man of heaven. Notice again the emphasis there in verse 17 regarding how the overflowing grace, the gift of righteousness, and the eternal reign have come to us. Look there in verse 17. How did that come to us? Anyone want to look at that verse? Since the, by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive? Receive. The, there it is again. It's a receiving. We're receiving the overflow of grace. We're receiving the gift of righteousness and the eternal reign. They are received, never achieved. They're simply ours as a result of the declaration of righteousness that we, that we see in verse number one of, of chapter five. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous. All of this is a receiving work. It is a receiving that, that Christ gives us and we are only to receive. Look at verse number 18. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. Jesus takes our condemnation and offers justification in its place. I made a note here just as I was reading through there, through this verse 18, condemnation and then justification. Christ took our condemnation and in our place he offered justification Look in verse 19, just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Here we see again, we have disobedience. That is what we achieved. And then we have Christ's obedience. That is what we received. We achieved condemnation. We received justification. We achieved disobedience. We received Christ's obedience. Jesus takes it, our disobedience, and gives us his obedience. Now guys, somewhere in here, if you, if you, if you read this and, and think about it for very long, maybe you've thought about this in the past. I definitely have. Um, considering the single source nature of sin in the world, have you ever thought about that and thought, that just isn't fair? It's just not fair. Adam messed up, not me, right? That was Adam. Why do I have to suffer due to someone else's sin? I didn't choose to eat of the forbidden tree. That was Adam. It's not my fault that he didn't have more self-control. I mean, come on, why, can't, why do we have to lose all of, you know, that garden sounds amazing. That nice, you know, temperature-controlled garden sounds really good right now. Why couldn't I have a shot at it? Right? He had one job. Well, I, I think he had more than one job, but 
The, the only thing that God, that God uh, uh, denied him was that tree. And there he went and took of it. We're quick to believe that we could have made better choices than Adam. And avoided this whole thing. You know, this whole mess. Stinking Adam. Come on, man. You know, come on, man. Our mindset of self-preservation and our bent toward justice can easily rise to the surface as we wrestle with the origins of sin and its impact on us. So why, why is it important to recognize the single source origin of sin? Why is that doctrine of imputation, and that's really just a word that means, you know, ascribing one person's status to another, um, why is that so important? You know, why is it important to understand uh, and, and to, to, to see that Adam's sin was imputed to us as his descendants? Could we not just each be responsible to make our own choices and have a fair shot at maintaining our own righteousness? Come on, it's a legitimate thought, right? Why don't we all get a chance at it? Why, why Adam, you know? I appreciate what uh, John Piper writes on this point, and rather than try to, you know, reword what he said, I'm just going to read, I just copied down what he said, um, and he's just a, he's a, a preacher and a, a teacher that is, uh, has just delivered a lot, of, a lot of beautiful things to the body of Christ, and listen to what he says here, if you say, through one man, sin and death entered the world, and death spread to everybody because all sinned individually. In other words, if sin was not imputed, but sin came into this world because of individual sins of people, well, then the comparison with the work of Jesus would have to be something like this. So also through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness and life entered the world and life spread to all because all individually did acts of righteousness. In other words, justification would not be God's imputing Christ's righteousness to us, but our performing individual acts of righteousness with Christ's help and then being counted righteous on that basis. But guys, the truth is that without the imputation of Adam's sin, we would be left to determine our own righteousness. But God, in his sovereign wisdom, did what we could never do. He imputed the righteousness of Jesus to our account. In other words, if, if Adam's sin was not imputed to us, if it was simply left up to us to determine our own righteousness with our choices and our decisions and our behaviors, then the other side of that coin would be that our righteousness would also be left up to us. But no, God in his infinite wisdom that imputed sin, the only cure for it could be imputed righteousness. And that is what he gifted us through Christ. What love. Praise God for it. Praise God. Look at verse number 20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Why was the law laid on Israel? Was it to help them clean up their behavior? Was it given to make them righteous? By no means. The law was given by God to exhaust the efforts of men and to lay bare their inability to save themselves. That's why we see it time after time. We see them, uh, we was see the law coming to Israel and Moses delivering those commandments. Was it given to make them righteous? And we see, 
Uh, we see him b- before he's even able to. The law was given by God uh, to exhaust. You know, the before they're even able to get traction, we and see to them lay breaking their inability to save you know? themselves. Uh, Moses. That's why we see uh, it time after time. We see them to dust, and uh, we you know, see the law to, uh, coming to Israel. We see the people delivering themselves. And then right. there would <laughs> God would send in uh, judgment, and there would be a revival, and people would they would determine to do better. Before they're even able to get traction, this time we're going to obey the Lord our God. We're not going to serve other gods. Moses. That's why we see a while. And we see that pattern of the law coming to Israel over again. We see the people defiling themselves. So we know that the law could never make them righteous. They simply could not live up to its demands. The law came along to expose them for what they were, spiritually dead and hopeless pretenders of righteousness. And guys, that, that is what we are in Adam. Spiritually dead. Hopeless pretenders of righteousness, putting on airs of righteousness, but being dead at the core. It's live right now. So The law came along to multiply the trespass. In other words, the law came along to show us that our trespass is great and we have no hope in ourselves. Elsewhere in God's word, it's in the New Testament, it speaks of the law being our teacher or our schoolmaster to point us to Christ, showing us who we really are at the core outside of Christ and pointing us to the only one who can make a difference. Look, let's continue on in verse 20 there. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. The grace of God has far more power to save than sin and death have power to destroy. As a believer, uh, your achieving flesh might be thinking that God's grace was sufficient to secure your salvation, but that somehow you must now hold up your end of the bargain. Uh, But let me remind you that, that you don't have a bargain. You don't have a bargain with God. Jesus has a bargain with God, and He will never break it. Christ alone, He is in you, and you are in Him. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. God's grace was sufficient to secure your salvation, your justification, and God's grace is secure, is efficient enough to secure our sanctification. God's best is better than your worst. We simply can't outsin God's grace. We can't go too far because Jesus went the distance so that we could walk free. Look in verse 21. So then, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow. Guys, sin sin was all-encompassing. It started there in the garden, and it reigned, you know? I think of that word reigned, I, I think of a king. And sin reigned. Sin and death and Satan reigned. Um, They had the lordship over men. But, But God's word tells us that through Christ, through righteousness, imputed by our Savior, so also grace will reign over death, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And guys, I want you to think about eternal life. I, if you're like me in, in, in this thought, um, sometimes I think of eternal life as 
you know, that's just, that's something that we're going to get someday, right? Like it's something that after we die, there's eternal life. But, you know, eternal life is not merely endless life. Eternal life is divine life. It's divine life. It's the life of Jesus. It is his glorious, conquering, always reigning life. Do you know that divine life today? Do you know it? Death reigns wielding the power of sin. But death and sin are swallowed up in the presence of God's grace. And God's grace is delivered to the sons of Adam by the sacrifice of the second Adam from above. The God-man, the only begotten Son of God. May God be praised. I think of that Christmas carol, second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing. And that just made me want Christmas really bad. But, um, but thank God for that second Adam. Greater than the first. Greater than the first. And guys, that's, that's our Savior. That is our Savior. That is our King. Death reigned. But through Christ, grace reigns over death. And that's the message here in the second half of Romans 5. May God be praised today. Do you know that eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Um, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your personal Savior? Um, death reigns. We were born into this thing. That death was imputed to us by the sin of Adam. And our only hope is the imputated righteousness of Jesus Christ. Um, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We must trust in this, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that is what he offers to each of us today. Many in this room, we have received that gift. We have come to the place where we've understood that we have nothing without Christ, that we are dead, that we are dead in our sins and we are hopeless. No matter the, what good works we try to do, they simply cannot, they cannot span the gap. They can do nothing. We are incapable of anything good because we're spiritually dead and we must have a Savior. And many of us have come to that, that decision in our lives where we have, we have admitted to God, we are dead and only you can make me alive. And... God has made us alive and brought us into his glorious grace. Perhaps you're here today and that's not a decision that you have come to. You, maybe you are, uh, maybe you're here today and, you know, you've, you've done some good things in your life, but you, you understand that you've also done some bad things. I, I just want to declare to you that it doesn't matter the good things or bad things that you've done. All of us are guilty before God. We stand condemned. We stand condemned because we are, we are not, uh, because death was, in, we inherited that death from Adam. We inherited it. We were born that way, dead. And only Christ can make you alive. And you have that opportunity today. You have that opportunity to recognize your condition, to believe that Jesus Christ came to this world, lived a perfect life, died an, abs an absolute horrible death on your behalf, the death that you deserved, and that he wants to make you alive through Jesus Christ. And that, that can be your story today. That second Adam, Jesus Christ, the coming one, 
he paid the penalty for your sin. And I'd invite you today to make that, to make that decision for Christ. Thank God for the second Adam, greater than the first. Let's, let's, uh, let's enjoy him today, church. Let's, um, let's rejoice in the righteousness that was imputed to us by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I am grateful, eternally grateful, for all that we have received in Jesus Christ. Lord, through one man's sin, death reigned. And God, it's, it's been quite a reign. Death is all around us. Death was in us. But God, you sent your Son. Through one man's righteous act, life was made available to all. God, I thank you for that day. Thank you for that day, Lord. I was 16 years old. And you brought life to me. Lord, you changed me. I'll never be the same. Lord, you imputed to me your righteousness. Nothing I could do. I was a good kid, but I was dead. I tried to do good stuff, but it was just filthy. Oh, Father, open our eyes today to our complete inability to please you to your absolute sacrifice and the righteousness that comes to us by your Son. Lord, may we recognize it and may we live in its power. Death no longer has a hold on us. Lord, sin is no longer our master. We have a new master. We are slaves of righteousness. Oh God, confirm that in us today. Lord, for the one or the two or the more that are here today that do not know that saving grace, they're not your child. Lord, may they, may they recognize your drawing today. Oh God, by your spirit, draw them to the new life available in Christ. Lord, it's not something they can work for. It's not something they can achieve. But, oh, Lord, it is something that they can receive. I'd invite you this morning, if that's you, if you'd say, Jeremy, I, I don't know. I don't know Christ as my Savior. I mean, I've tried. I know I've sinned. I've failed. I, I know that I know that I need something more than I have. Friend, you need something, all right. You need life. 
and God, God offers it to you. By faith, you, you can be adopted into his family. You can be made a son of God, a daughter of the king. And I'd invite you this morning. I'd love to speak to you about that after we dismiss here this morning. We'd love to take God's word and show you the grace of God available to you today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, may you be praised and glorified. And may our song ever be worthy as the lamb, the lamb that was slain.